Hey there, we're glad you've found the Who, What, When podcast of the Chippewa Valley Museums. You can find even more history by checking out Chippewa Valley Museum on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Olaf, and uh, today we're going to to change things up a little bit. Um, we're going to talk to Jody, your usual host, along with me, uh, about the archives here at Chippewa Valley Museums and uh, and what she does and what uh, you might find there. So, Jody, do you want to tell us a little bit about the archives and library? Yeah, where to start, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have been working here as the archivist for, let's see, I came right before the pandemic, so it's been almost four years now. And I like to tell people I'm responsible for three different areas of the museum. The um, library, which is... Um, just like the things that have been published, things that you can often find at other libraries, but you know, just for us, we like to have on hand for reference. And then there's the archives is the other um, department, and that is the things you more think of when you think of history. You know, the original documents, the you know diaries, things like that that we store separately in a vault that's temperature controlled and humidity controlled and fireproof. That's the archives, and then I I separate the photos out from, from those two other departments because Chippewa Valley Museum really focuses on historic photos. Um, we have a collecting agreement with the UW-Eau Claire Archives and the public library here in Eau Claire so that we're not competing for, with each other and we're not overlapping. Um, we have decided that the Chippewa Valley Museum will really focus on the photos. So that's kind of my three areas, uh, library, archives, and photos that you if you're interested in any of those things, you would talk to me at the museum. And I, if I remember correctly, we have somewhere a little over 20,000 photos yes. that we've cataloged. Yes, and that that number changes weekly. Um, I have a very uh, dedicated um, volunteer who comes in once a week, and she usually around 10 photos a week she's adding. But yes, at the current time, I think we're looking at around 21,000 um, digitized and cataloged photos. Um, we have others that have not yet been digitized um, that we work on. Like I said, a volunteer comes in weekly and does that. Um, the subject matter, lots of lumbering photos. Um, a lot of people like to look for um, photos of streets that they live on or where their businesses are. Um, you're going to probably downtown is the best way that that happens. Um, you're not going to see Many photos, historic photos of just random streets around Eau Claire, unless you just get really lucky. Right. But, um, yeah. So yeah, businesses, um, historic homes. There are lots of pictures of that, and then just things that happened in the Chippewa Valley. Um, and you you brought up digital, uh, digital and uh, and um, and photos that are, have been printed. Um, are are you seeing an uptick? in digital photography coming into the archives or is that something that we I are waiting to see as yeah. well in because we're we're about what now we're about 20 years from when I think digital yeah, photography I really became viable I got my everyone. first digital camera um probably around the year 2000 so I don't know that and we were in my family we were kind of early adopters and I so I doubt that people are really looking at digital photos as history yet right. um Although we do have some that have been just as people from the museum have taken pictures, then we we collect them in a digital archive. So we do have some that were what we call born digital that don't have any kind of um, hard copy um, that we reference off of. Um, 
so yeah, I think probably the the most it's mostly because people just don't recognize that as history yet, as history, even though yeah. it is. Right, because um, oftentimes we think of, of history sort of as 50 years ago. That's kind of what the museum, if, if I remember correctly, that's kind right. of what the museum um, talks about, is kind of focuses on history as being 50 years in the past. Right. Um, of course, there's no hard and fast rule for that. But Right, um, and, and time has sort of accelerated in the digital age. So exactly. Things have changed yes. so much more quickly. Yeah. And it's it's and, interesting and, to think about how museums respond to that. Yes, and down the road we will be getting, I mean, we anticipate that most of our donations down the road will continue to increasingly be digital. Um, so that for that reason, actually in the year 2024, part of the strategic plan is that we're working on um, just really getting our digital archives running and having a good plan for um, preserving all those things. You know, uh, when I first did some training on digital archiving, um, you know, I assumed things that probably most people assume. Like, hey, I have digital photos. I don't have to worry about them. I just put them on my computer. They will last forever, and everything's easy peasy, which is not the case. Right, very not true. Um, in many ways, <laughs> digital um, materials are more fragile than um, you know something that was written 200 years ago. Because once you have something that's you know a piece of paper, it's relatively stable if you get it protected in the right way. And so you can get something like that, put it back in the vault. You won't touch it for you know, years and years likely. And um, whereas with digital uh, materials, if you aren't touching those um, every couple of years, you're going to get obsolete media. You know, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have a VCR tapes and no VCRs anymore. <laughs> so, and that's kind of the problem we're looking at right now is we do have, we have VCR tapes, we have reel to reel, um, and we are get, getting more and more digital archives. So we're really trying in this next year to really focus on getting ready for more and more digital submissions. So, so to go another direction, I know um, when I, I hear people at the front desk talking about what they were looking at, at the in the archives, um, it seems like a lot of them uh, consult the sort of the city books, the, the blue ones. Um, the city, or the, oh, you mean the like, city directories? The city directories, yes. yeah. And yes. then the like the Sanborn maps and things like that yes. are, are pretty popular things so, too. Yeah. What, so, so what sort of things do people find in those things? Well, the city directories are essentially, um, I would say, telephone books, but they, they date back to the, the earliest one we have is from 1880. So obviously there were no telephone numbers in that one. Um, but essentially it's just a list of who lived in Eau Claire, where they lived, and usually what their occupation was. Um, and you're not generally going to find many married women and children listed in there because um, they were usually assumed to be under the name of the head of the household. But um, you will find single people who are boarding somewhere. You can find out what their, um, where they lived and what their occupation was. Um, those are very useful. We have city directories from 1880 up until about the year 2000. And I use them every day, um, multiple times a day. Sanborn maps um, are also great for finding out who was where. Um, these are big atlas-type maps that were put together by um, the Sanborn Insurance Company. And for the purpose of determining how much people would need to pay in insurance, um, they the maps were color-coded based on what the buildings were made of. So a brick building obviously would have different 
um, fire risk than a, a wooden building. And so um, these were updated as time went on. So they would cut and paste into the maps as things were built. Um, so it it's it can be a really good resource for as far as like what happened over time too. But sometimes what happened in the past gets covered over by you know a, a new building or something. So sometimes you can lose some information there right. too. And street names change and. The street thing, names change. The, the thing that I find most interesting is when the numbering on the street mm -hmm. changes. So yeah, you, you find that interesting. I find that a headache. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. When I'm, oh, for sure. For when sure. I'm uh, doing research and I suspect that there has been some street number changes that I know that that's going to make my job a whole lot more difficult. A whole lot more difficult. And, and yeah. how do you go about resolving? You just have to go and and look in the place? or It depends on how much time I have. Sometimes right. I don't have the time to uh, find out. And sometimes, you know, I'll cross-reference other maps. Um, I, city directories are great for finding out, okay, in the year 1933, this, what what we think of as this location was actually numbered such and such. Because the name's connected if the same person was living there. The you business can, name yeah, the or business the person's name. The person, name yeah. Although they, you know, you that have to be careful because that changes <laughs> too. But um, so you can see where you can run into a lot of problems identifying locations in history because um you know names of streets change graham avenue used to be river street um, grand avenue used to be kelsey street so those are you know just some of the major streets downtown that have had name changes um, it can be really challenging to put those together and find out locations it's not as easy as many people think right <laughs> so yeah um but yeah what other question do you have so um, what are some of the things that, is there anything you've ever, you've come across that you were like, wow, I had no idea or, oh. or what, are, you know, I, I can imagine you're coming across things on a, a fairly daily basis yes. that are, are, you know, unusual or are sort of unexpected. Yep. Um, um, a lot of that has been happening lately because I've been, um, there's been a backlog of materials that has been here since before I came, probably for years before um, my predecessor was here, but that's just the nature of the beast is that things get piled up. But I've been trying to go through that little by little. And um, the one thing that I found that was so exciting um, from that backlog was, um, this was last summer, I think, I was just looking at, I got a, a disc, a CD, and it, on it said something about Hank Aaron and the date. And so I thought, huh, this might be interesting. Well, um, when we listened to it, we found out it was a, an interview that was done with um, some WEAU radio reporters um, down in Atlanta, I believe. So they were following Hank Aaron around. He was getting close to the time when he was going to be breaking the home one record. And so it looks like that these reporters had been kind of going to the games at different parts of the country because they wanted to be there when the record was broken. That's my guess. Right. Yeah. That would be a, 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 an amazing yes. thing to be at yep. for sure. And so what, what we can tell from what we've listened to of this interview, um, Hank Aaron was headed out to the ball field on his way out just before the game. These interviewers, the reporters grabbed him and just did like a one minute interview with him just and talked a little bit about his time in Eau Claire um, and then just the game that day. But then as he was 
running off onto the field, one of the reporters says something like, um, so do you think today will be the day? And it ended up being the day. <laughs> so mm. we have a, an interview with Hank Aaron um, with some Eau Claire reporters on, on the, the day, day that, that he, he broke the home wow. run record. Yeah. So that was exciting to find. Um, yeah. I was really excited that day. I think I don't get, think I got much more work done. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> For sure. But, um, For sure. Boy, another one. Most recently, um, Oh, like just today, what I was working with before I came in here, um, I've been going through some of our research files, which are mostly newspaper clippings, but occasionally some things get in there that really should be better protected in the archives um, rather than just in research files. And so I've been going through those. Today I found um, some hand or some letters by um, Marjorie Barnes, and she's talking to the AO heirs. Heirs Associate, about what the first congregational church building looked like, the original one. And so there are two different letters, and with each one, she draws a, kind of a diagram of what that the church looked like inside, the interior. Hmm. So, um, you know, who knows if that information exists somewhere else, because, you know, it was from the, what, 1850? 1860s that that church was first built. Was first built. Sure. So um, not a lot of people around, and probably they weren't making detailed descriptions of the inside because everyone knew what, and it, what looked it looked like. like yeah. Right. So that was exciting. So that's what I've been working on today. Yeah. So and I know you recently um, were working with um, an intern on a really interesting project. Oh, yeah. Do you want to talk yes. about that a yes, little bit? Yes, I do. Um, so this has been a big. Big thing for the archives um, this past year, um, Dean Arnold, who grew up here in Eau Claire and is a descendant of LG Arnold. Um, LG Arnold Incorporated um, was a construction company that really did a lot of major projects um, in Eau Claire and also throughout the United States. Um, there were some as far as away as Kentucky. And his LG Arnold's grandson, Dean, has collected um, materials from the company and has also um, funded an intern to work with this collection. Um, so I, I'm on my third intern now with the, the LG Arnold intern. And um, the summer, this summer I had Sarah Bouch for my um, intern and she did a really neat project, a story map, which is, um, it's a website that kind of uses a map as a hub for learning about these projects. So you, when you look at the page, it shows, um, you know, like a Google map is what it looks like. And then there are the different um, red dots that locate where the different projects are. And so then you can click on the map to look at each pro uh, project, or you can scroll through and it'll show you on the map where the project was located. Um, so we've got information and photos of all those different projects in Eau Claire County. Uh, we're adding to the Chippewa and Dunn County projects today. We added some to the Chippewa County um, with my intern from this semester, Stephanie. Um, and so the idea is that this will keep expanding. And as, as we get more interns, they'll be adding more projects so that all of the projects of this company are cataloged online and available um, uh, Dean Arnold would really like it to be useful as an educational tool for students who are studying construction methods. Sure, um, and that it really was some. That there really were some really big construction projects. Yeah, like, like the roads and and I ninety four overpass here. Right, and um, the the one that I I the, the images stick in my head the most is the uh, the the Mount Tom. 
Yes, the Mount Tom the, Reservoir. The reservoir. Yeah. Yes, that was actually, if not the first, one of the first projects that L.G. Arnold worked on. He was not yet even incorporated as his mm. own company. He was um, kind of, I don't know, in partnership with um, the guy who actually won the bid for um, building the Mount Tom Reservoir. But yeah, if you if you don't know the history of the Mount Tom Reservoir, I really recommend going to the story maps. You can access it from the museum's website. I think it's under, is it Explore? I think Explore so. menu. So yeah. if you go to cvmuseum.com and there's a Explore menu, um, there should be some place that says LG Arnold Story Maps. And just going there and Mount Tom is... I think the first project under the Eau Claire County projects. And it's a fascinating project that's still, I mean, it's still a water reservoir for Eau Claire today. And they inspected it a few years ago and it was in great condition. You know, it's been 100 and, 110 years, something like that, since it was built. Yeah, so. if, I, if I remember, there were both horses and trucks used in the construction. Like, if I think back to the... I know horses. I don't know if I remember seeing right. any trucks in those photos, but it right. could be. You know, there, Dean has put together so many really great slideshows that have, have incredible detailed dis, um, just descriptions of what's going on in those projects. And so that was one of the reasons why he wanted to, to set up this website, because we do have these slideshows showing in, in the museum, and they have been for years um, in a, on a TV monitor, actually, in a hallway. But there's so much information on these slideshows that it's hard when somebody's just coming in and, you know, standing there for five minutes to look at, you know, what's on there. They're not going to be able to read everything. Um, and it's a lot of it's technical information. Right. So Dean was it was really important to him that there be a way that this could be accessible to the general public, but then then people who have the needs of going deeper down in, you know, like students who are studying construction methods and things like that, um, would be able to go to that website and then download these slideshows that he put together. And those will give them a better idea of, you know, the more nitty gritty. So it's something that is really targeted toward the general public, but then also people who have a more in-depth interest in construction projects like that. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the general overview of that project, which has been really fun. Um, and I think I'm excited to keep expanding it. I'm already um, in the process of looking at candidates for next spring's intern. So excellent. Yeah. By, by the time this comes out, we should I should be interviewing. And we're, we're so lucky here at the museum to have so many great volunteers and interns and people to work yes. with. Um, oh. I'm just, I'm always amazed yes. at the people in the building. <laughs> yes, you know? and huge shout out to it's, Dean Arnold because, right, yeah. you know, I, I get lots of donations and I love getting donations, but when I get someone that says, here's my big donation, my big collection, and I'm going to fund somebody to help process this collection, um, that's always a big, a wonderful a, thing for it's the a, It's a huge help, yeah. Yes, it is. For very sure. Very much, because I can't do it all alone. There's no way. <laughs> right, right. There's no way. There's not enough time in the world. Right, so... Sort of on that note, um, if people are interested in in working in the as far as like uh, doing research or or if they have you know you know questions on what's in the library, how do they how do they do that? Do they do they want to make an appointment? Do they? Yes, definitely make an appointment. Um, and that's with you, right? With me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you can actually um, you can call the museum from the museum's website and or get the number off the museum's website and um, 
call and ask for Jody if you have research questions or if you're looking to get photos of something in historical Claire. Um, that's probably the best way is just get my contact information on the website. Sure. And you can let people know sort of if there's cost involved because for yeah. members, there's some research time included members, for members yes. of the museum. Yep. Um, members, anyone who's a member of the museum gets free access to our collections. Um, they, you just have to make an appointment and so that I'm available to help. Um, and so that's, that's why it's important to make an appointment because I, my, schedule varies sometimes i'm off recording a podcast and then i can't right. be helping um, researchers <laughs> but um yes make an appointment with me um if you're a non-member the charge is ten dollars an hour to access the collections and that also includes assistance from me um so it's often worth a person's time a person's money to become a member because if they're spending more i, I think right now um, individual memberships are still at 30. That'll go right. up after the first of the year. Right. So. But so at $30 or $10 an hour, if you're going to be in there for more than three hours, it's, it's worth it to get a, um, a, a membership. And there's so much more you can do at the oh, museum so as well. More, so, yes. And so, I do yeah, tend absolutely. to, it's I do a great, tend, it's a great avenue in. Yes. I tend to offer a little more assistance for our members. Um, just, a, that's a perk of being a member is, right. um, getting just a little extra help. So, right. um, I, but, I don't have time to really do a lot of in-depth help that I'd like to do, but. Right. And um, I know one of the things from just talking to you around the museum that you, you sometimes enjoy is is the sort of delving into to newspaper, <laughs> yeah. uh, newspaper research. Yes. Do you, do yes. you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, the sort of things you can find in newspapers of, of some age are pretty amazing. Yes. Well, and this is, this is hard because it's not actually part of the museum's collections. I, I, um, people often want to access newspapers here at the museum in the archives. And I always tell them, you know, I wish we had the ability to access the Eau Claire newspapers, but unfortunately they're behind a paywall. Um, so I use my personal account to do research on newspapers, but someday it's my dream to have an account that can be used by researchers at the library. So if people are wanting to research newspapers, I tell them talk to the public library because you can get access that way. Um, however, as far as I'm concerned, I love doing that research myself because like you said, you come across all kinds of interesting stuff. Like, um, you know, you'll just be reading along trying to find out, um, you know, the marriage date of someone. And then right next to it, there will be an article about um, the guy who was arrested for bathing um, in the nude in the Chippewa River in 1893. And, <laughs> right. you know, so I came across a great uh, a great word for that. I was watching something um, and they were talking about Lord Byron and, and Byron was a great swimmer oh. um, and he he would he would not swim clothed. And so they referred to it as Byronic swimming. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Well, this guy claimed he said he was he had a bathing suit that someone had sold him in Eau Claire as a bathing suit. And he described it or it's described in the newspapers as um, a gauze nightshirt. So huh. if you know anything about gauze fabric, right. um, <laughs> especially when it gets wet. Right. <laughs> but right. yeah, that was that's a, a gauze fun night, story. Nightshirt for swimming. That's, yeah. That's right excellent. now, I'm I've been um, and, and, re researching a gal who um, is just just was a blip on the radar of fame in Eau Claire in 1909 because they just the newspapers discovered that in I want to say in 1905, she sat 
as she was the model for a portrait or of a painting of the coronation of, I want to say King Edward VII, but his wife, Queen Alexandra, there was a, a girl from, a girl, she was I think in her 20s, from Eau Claire who met the painter over in, in London. And hmm. he was so taken with her neck and shoulders and her hands that he decided she was the perfect model for Queen Alexandra in this painting. So the queen has her neck and shoulders. Yes. And it's actually hanging in Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace. Yes. So um, little trivia that I've found out just right. by researching. Eau Claire is everywhere. Yes. Eau Claire is everywhere. <laughs> it, it's the more and more you find, the more you find little, you know, details right. that are the way Eau Claire is connected to the wider Eau Claire and the rest of the Chippewa Valley, because let's not forget that we are right, collecting the entire valley. And that's a, a great thing, too, that we should maybe take a couple minutes. Um, one of the things that you do at the museum is a social media campaign yeah. that talks about making sure that we are covering um, and, and giving people access to a much wider range right. geographically than just, yeah, you know, that's just kind of a my, couple miles from the park where that's kind of my thing here because, um, I grew up in Chitek <laughs> and I have spent all but about seven years of my life in the more, the middle Chippewa Valley. Um, I kind of think of it as a, in the Barron County area. And so, you know, when I come down here and I now live in Eau Claire, but I've lived in Chatek and Rice Lake and Cameron for most of my life. And I come down here, I'm like, hey, guys, if you're going to talk about the Chippewa Valley, let's talk about the entire Chippewa Valley. Absolutely. And um, we're going to have in a couple of weeks, or actually, I think it'll come out in January. Um, we're speaking with a guy from the very northern part of the Chippewa Valley and um, about the connection between Price County, way up there by... Um, the Upper Peninsula, and how it's connected to Eau Claire, and how a lot of our the wealth that was accumulated in Eau Claire came at the expense of some of those small communities and some of those more rural areas, right? Um, which is a pretty typical story for this part of the country. Um, but it gets repeated, yeah, over yep. and over yep. again across across the world, yeah, in a lot of ways. But uh, one yeah. of the things I did want to mention, though, is um, with this time of year. Um, December, often we get an uptick in interest in photos um, because people like to give historic photos as gifts. So I wanted to just mention that that might be a good thing if you're still looking for that gift for a family member or a friend. Um, we do sell digital files of our photos. So if you're looking to make just a really small reproduction, um, you know, like a four by six or something like that, you can get a smaller digital file for $5. If you want to do any kind of make any larger prints, um, we sell larger files for $15. And so then you can take those to whatever printing place you want to. You can print them on your home computer if you have that ability. Um, and so then those make great gifts I, every mm -hmm. year. Somebody's always giving gifts for um, of historic photos. So. And we get a fair number of requests from local businesses, again, yes. like you said, yeah, a lot for, of the businesses for office spaces and yep. things where you have uh, historic images yep. of the area or yep. the inside or the outside. Yep. Shout of out place. to uh, Daughters right now because they are the most recent um, business that Daughters Bookstore, when they moved into their new um place downtown, the actually the land landlady, the lady who owns that building um, came here and did research. And there's some images from um, the Chippewa Valley, or Chippewa Valley Museum there at, at Daughter's Books. So mm -hmm. yeah, but we get a lot of that too. So if you're looking for interesting uh, historical photos, you can purchase a digital file and have it printed. 
um, as a Christmas Christmas gift or just to put on your wall any time of year. Or if you have questions, you know, research questions, I can help with some of that. And uh, yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks for talking to me today, Jody. You're welcome. Thank you Um, for your interest. uh, I think it's been really great to share. Uh, some of what goes on in the library and archives with people who are listening. We've only scratched um, the surface. Yeah, right. And there's <laughs> there's, there's so always interesting more. things going on here and always interesting people around. So, yep. um, you know, if uh, thanks for listening. And uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us for any reason, you can send us an email uh, to info at cvmuseum.com. And again, don't forget to check out uh, Chippewa Valley Museum on Facebook and Instagram. Have a good one.